I am excited to speak to you guys tonight. We're going to talk about perspective on worship. And this is like one of my favorite topics. But as we get started, I really just want to spend a second and tell you about the moment that I really believe I fell in love with worship. In a, in a new way, I really believe I fell in love with worship. So I've always liked music. Um, from the time I became a believer in Jesus Christ and I learned that there was like a musical element, I was all about it. I was like, I would love to be a part of that. But I think the moment that I really fell in love with worship and I realized what it is, the privilege it is for us to get to worship God and, and the sweetness of what we can experience in God in worship, especially in the American church, was when I was overseas in Germany. I was on my first project trip ever in my life. And we had been ministering all day. And what we were doing there is we were giving out Bibles in various languages to the minority people groups in hopes that they would read the Bible in, in Turkish or in Farsi or in um, Chinese. And there was a few different. We were, we were giving these Bibles out in hopes they would read it. They would, like, talk with us about Jesus and, and come to Christ. And then they would go back to their countries because at the time, most of these countries, and some of them still are, were closed to missionaries. Um, so the thought was like to lead these people to, to Christ in Germany, and then they could go back and lead their own people to Christ because they're allowed to get back into their country because that's where they're from. Um, and so as part of this, this wasn't even part of the trip, but we were just leaving dinner one day, and it started pouring rain. So we stepped kind of under an awning, and we're just like hiding from the rain, you know, like Americans. Because um, like all the German people just like pull up their hood and keep walking, but the Americans like hide, you know, and out of the rain. And this man comes running up to us, and he's like, "You're the Americans that are visiting my church because we were sleeping in a church at night. Um, so you, you know, when you go on projects, like you don't usually sleep somewhere fancy. You usually sleep on like a, a church pew or something. Um, so you know, he's like, "You're the Americans that are visiting my church." And we're like, okay, yeah, like, what's your name, sir? And he's like, I don't care about that. I'm so glad I found you. And we're like, would you like to come out of the rain? And he's like, I don't care about that. And he just, he's saying, I can't, I don't care about that. I don't care about that. And he says, my name is Johannes. I'm a gypsy. And I want to know what is it like to worship God in your church? And we're like, it's great, you know, because we're Americans. We're like from the United States. And we don't know that it's a privilege to worship the way we worship. And he's like, but I watched on a video, and this was before YouTube, because I'm old, um, because I watched on a video of the American church, and like, you can sing as loud as you want, and you can jump up and down, you can raise your hands if you want to, and we're like, yeah, and he's like, well, where I come from as a, as a gypsy, if I do that, like, I get in trouble, and like, I get thrown out, and I think I, like, I had known there was like a persecuted church, right, but I had never like met the persecuted church, encountered um, someone that had lived in one of these environments. And like, so he's telling us about like his home where he's from. He's like, we're not, no, we're not allowed to worship. You have to do it real quiet and secret. And he's talking about the underground church. And he's like, so when you go home, he's like, worship God with all you have, because like, that's the thing I long to do. And I think there's just something in my heart that like broke, but at the same time came alive. I realized what a privilege it is for us to be able to like worship Jesus unashamedly, right? And it's like, there's all kinds of different songs and, and genres we can sing, but we can worship Jesus unashamedly in the United States of America, in Memphis, Tennessee. Nobody's gonna say like, put your hands down, quiet down, or we're gonna kick you out, right? Like we can just worship the Lord. And I think when I realized that privilege, I was like, 
God, you're so good. You're so amazing. And what would it be like to not be able to tell you that? Like, does something in me broke? Obviously, like, you can worship quietly, but, like, to not be able to express it in those moments that he's so good that, like, you just want to jump or something. Like, I was like, and you have to, like, just, you can't. You know, and I think it just gave me, like, this fresh love. Um, and so, like, yeah. And then, obviously, I still like to worship. Um, but so tonight, we're going to talk about worship. And I'm going to start by, by telling you about somebody that I think is just really great. He's good. He's kind. He's super patient. He's really, really wise. He's strong. He's a safe place. He takes care of me. He's handsome. He's sweet. He's funny. He's sexy. Y'all thought I was talking about King Jesus for a minute. Until it took that turn, right? So what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm talking about Matt. Just to clarify, I'm talking about Matt, right? But like, what is that? That's worship, right? It's, it's like giving honor and, and ascribing words to something that matters to me, right? And, and to break it down super simple, whatever we do, every moment of our lives, we are worshiping something. Like in this moment, you're worshiping something. When you go to class, you're worshiping something. When you hit the snooze button, right, you're worshiping something. Every moment of our lives, whatever we're doing, we're worshiping something. So when we talk about perspective on worship, obviously we're talking about worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Um, but I think so often we misunderstand what worship even is that we can't really um, glorify God with it if we don't even know what it is or think rightly about it. So first we have to understand what worship is. So is it music? We've had a time of worship, right? But, but no. We can worship through music, right? But we could also like sit through that whole song set and not worship at all. Um, so just because it's music doesn't mean it's worship. Is it a religious meeting? And say no, because we could be at Wednesday night worship, and we could be here and we could worship, or we might could be here and we don't worship at all. Is it acting in a certain way or living by certain rules? Nope. We could do that, and we might be worshiping, and we might just be going through the motions and obeying some rules, right? Um, so worship is an attitude, or better said, worship is a heart posture. It's what your heart is after. Worship is what your heart is after. It's something within us that causes us to give honor, respect, reverence, and adoration to something. So an example of this, right? And ladies, I'm going to pick on us because, like, I'm a lady, right? And some of you guys have heard this example before, but it's just, it's really great. So we're just going to still use it, right? So if your girlfriend, right, meets a new guy, we'll call him Roger, because hopefully no one here is named Roger. Um, your girlfriend meets a new guy, and his name is Roger, and Roger's really cute, and Roger's really sweet, and Roger asks her out. What is she going to talk about, like, every moment for the next, like, week or days or whatever to this date happens, and then probably even past that? It's Roger, right? It's going to be Roger this, and oh, and you're going to be like, do you like this shirt? And she's like, well, that would look good. 
right? And you're like, would you like a coffee? And she's like, I would love to get coffee with Roger. You know, and, and it's like Roger, 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 right? And, and so what is she doing? She adores Roger, so she's talking about Roger. Um, is worship, right? She's like, I really like Roger. And so what's coming out of her mouth? Roger, Roger, right? And you're like, if I hear about Roger one more time, I'm gonna like, you know, um, it's always like that, right? Uh, we're like, no more, no more Roger. What about like, we just hang out and she's like, can we invite Roger? You know, um, yeah, but like, so she adores Roger. So she's gonna talk about Roger. John Piper, who's like a famous preacher, he says it like this, we glorify what satisfies us. So if your best friend, your girlfriend is super satisfied that this man Roger is trying to take her out on Saturday night, you're going to hear about Roger. So let's take this a step further. If you want to worship God, if you want your heart posture to be focused on God, you must be satisfied in him. Right? If you want to worship him, you have to be satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That really cool sentence was Piper again. That wasn't Jackie. So to unpack that, if you're spending time with God and you're reading his word, you're spending time in prayer, you're having regular time in his presence, right? You're going to start to understand who he is and you're going to start to think more clearly about who he is and you're going to be able to worship and adore him. Conversely, if we aren't spending time with God, we aren't reading his word, we aren't spending time in prayer or having regular time in his presence, we're going to have a challenging time offering true worship to God because we're not in a place where we can be satisfied with him. So if you aren't spending time with him and you haven't really gotten to know him, you aren't satisfied with him, and you're not going to have this overflow of adoration, you can't, right? You cannot adore a Roger if you don't know it exists. In the same time, you, can, you can't adore God if you don't know him, if you don't get to know him. So we see this idea again with Roger. If all of a sudden, right, they went out on Saturday night and then he stops texting your girl, right? He goes through. Like, she's going to be mad for a few days. But after a week or a month, and she still, still doesn't hear him, is she going to want to talk about Roger? No, no, she's not going to want to talk about Roger. She's not satisfied, right? And so, like, the excitement about Roger stops. Um, so we need to be satisfied in God. We need to spend time with him, get to know his word, get to know who he is and who he says that we are to him. And as we do that, we'll have... This, this deep satisfaction in him, and then we can glorify him and worship him. So we're going to look at this idea in scripture, and this is how I remember this, so I'm just going to forward it onto you. This is what it's like in Jackie's brain. The ideas about worship center around two kings and a single lady. So say two kings and a single lady. Right? So if you can remember that, you, and you know the Bible a little bit, you can find it, right? So the first one we're going to look at is King Saul. This is the first king of Israel. And so Israel didn't have a king. They really, really wanted one. God said, you don't need a king. And they were like, but we really want one God. So he gives them a king. And um, there's a guy, a judge, that Samuel, that goes out to find this king and anoint him to be in leadership over Israel. And so as Saul has gone out to find some lost donkeys, this is really fun. You can read these stories later. But some donkeys are lost. Saul goes to find the donkeys. And Samuel uh, catches up with him to anoint him. But this is how he's described in 1 Samuel 9, 1 through 2. 
It says, there was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome as a young man could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. So Saul is apparently nice looking and tall, and he becomes the first king of Israel, and he looks like what we would expect a king to look like. So far, so good, right? However, if you continue to read about Saul, you start to realize that though Saul looks like a king on the outside, I don't, but you get it. Um, he's not made of the stuff of kings on the inside. He has some character flaws, the chief one being that he really, really, really cares what people think. Like Saul, like, really cares what people think. Um, so there's... If you read on after 1 Samuel 9, I'm going to kind of like recap, right? Because we're not going to read like five chapters of the Bible tonight, but you can go home and read it later or over the weekend and, and really dig into this. So Saul receives an order to destroy the Amalekites. They're a wicked people in the Old Testament. This happens sometimes. God is trying to get rid of the wicked people so that his people could flourish and continue to serve the Lord. And so there's, if that confuses, we can totally like meet up and talk about this. Um, but he's commanded Saul to take the army and destroy the Amalekites, right? And the commandment is to totally destroy the Amalekites. And he's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do the thing. Um, and so we can pick up in 1 Samuel 15, 13 through 14. Samuel goes to ask Saul like, how this went, this, this campaign against the Amalekites. And it says, when Samuel reached Saul, the Lord, he said, the Lord, Saul said, Excuse me, I need to slow down. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? So basically, Saul's like, I did the thing God told me to do. And Samuel's like, Did you though? Because you're supposed to destroy everything, and I hear some animals. Um, and so in verse 15, Saul answered, the soldiers, not Saul, the soldiers, brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. So what is this about? This is about they went to destroy this people, and they saw that they had some really nice sheep and cattle, and they were like, we don't actually have to destroy these. We could keep these. And the prophet shows up, and he's like, why, why didn't you destroy them? And he's like, oh, oh, well, because we are going to give them to God. We are going to give them to God, because that sounds really, really good. That sounds holy, right? So basically what he's saying in this statement is like, I know God told me to do this. I know what God told me to do. But I think I know even better than God what he really wants. I think I know what God wants even better than him. He wants sacrifices, Yep, he's going to like that so much better than me doing what he actually asked me to do. And you guys, I don't know about you, but I see a lot of myself in that. That so often, as I'm following God, and the Lord is like, do this. I read, a, I read scripture, right? And it's like, do this. And I'm like, wouldn't you rather me write you a song? <laughs> And I read the scripture again, it's like, do this. And I'm like, oh, but like, I could go feed somebody who's hungry. Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like, like, like me to do that? Um, and the scripture's like, do this, right? 
And what does God want? What does God really want? He really wants obedience. He really wants us just to obey him, right? It's okay to, like, give him sacrifices and honor him and, and honor him and offerings, which today that would be, like, ways we worship him or serve others. It's okay to do that, but if we skip over obedience to do that, we're not giving him really what he wants. Um, and so, you guys, Saul loses his kingdom over this. He loses his kingdom over a few sheep and a few cattle. Um, he loses the throne over disobedience because incomplete obedience is not obedience. I'll say that again. Incomplete obedience is not obedience. And I promise you that I'm preaching to myself with this one because it is so easy for us to be like, okay, well, I'll do this part of it, whatever you're calling me to do, God, because I'm comfortable with that. But like that next step is really uncomfortable. And wouldn't you rather me just go do something else? But really, um, something that Matt has said for years is that obedience is God's love language. If you read scripture and you're like, God, how do I show you I love you? How do I really, really worship you? The very first thing is just to obey what he told you to do. And if you get really, really stuck in life, this is also Matt Harrington, get really, really stuck and you can't hear his voice and you don't know what to do, just think back to the last thing God told you to do and go ahead and do that. And, and, just see if God doesn't start to speak again. You're like, oh, oh, you meant that? You meant that, yeah, he loves, he loves for us to obey. So this is what Samuel says about this whole thing to King Saul as he's being told that he's losing his kingdom. In 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 23, he says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And so he's saying way more than offerings and sacrifices, God wants obedience. He wants obedience. And like, it's, it's basically like when we disobey, we're rejecting God's word. That's, that's how God receives that. So this theme gets repeated over and over and over in Scripture. And we don't have time to go through every part, but it, it goes all through the Old Testament and then picks up with, like, Jesus echoes the same sentiment, that obedience is better than sacrifice. So that was King One, right? And we're talking about what? Two kings and a single lady. Who said it? Yeah, somebody remembered it. Okay, so that was the first king. Now we're moving on to the second king of Israel, and Chris talked about later in his life last week. And so we already know this guy wasn't perfect. But, but he is maybe an example of somebody that honors God. It's King David. So Samuel, after telling Saul, you're not king anymore, he goes on a journey to anoint the next king. And he finds himself with Jesse's family, who is David's dad. And when he sees David's older brother, Eliab, he thinks, well, he sure looks like a king. And it says this in 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. But the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so this is the problem a lot of people had with King Saul. They were like, well, he looks like a king. Like, he's going to be a good king. But was he a good king? No, he taught the people to disobey God. So Eliab isn't the next king. He looks like a king, but he's not him. Neither is the next brother or the next. 
or the next, or the next, because Jesse had lots of kids. And they go through all of Jesse's son, sons until Samuel has to ask if there are any left. And David's not even there. He's out in the field with the sheep because that's how much his family thought that the prophet needed to see him, right? He's, they didn't even call for him. But um, David is the one that God wants. And this is why. In Acts 13, 22, it says this. After removing Saul, God made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So, like, this is really, really huge, right? This is David was just a man after God's heart, and he would obey. He would do what God asked him to do. This doesn't mean, like we said, that David was perfect. Um, Chris, like, hit on that last week. But there was something inward and unseen that was pointed Godward, something in the posture of his heart that was focused on God and making him famous and bringing him honor and obeying him and worshiping him. And, like, we can see this if we just look at the book of Psalms because they're not all by David, but a whole lot of them are by David. David poured out his heart to God. Over and over and over, we see that David wasn't just content to worship God with the songs and rituals that already existed. A huge portion of this psalm book that we have in our Bible is heart songs that David poured out before God. He just wrote and expressed his love and honor and thankfulness to God, who God was and all that he had done. David just poured out his heart in worship to God, and that's the kind of worshiper that God wants is somebody that's willing to pour out their heart. So when we say that worship is what your heart is after, the question becomes for each of us, what is your heart after? Right? If you look inside and really examine yourself, what is your heart after? Is it after good grades? Is it after a guy or a girl? Is it after people thinking well of you or being somebody notable or having a lot of followers or being famous or strong or smart? Or is it after doing things your own way? Is it after being thought of as godly or of a worshiper? Or is it after God? Because you will glorify whatever most satisfies you. You will. Whatever satisfies you, that's the thing you're going to worship. So when we talk about perspective and worship, the issue is not the how of worship, but the who. And the more you seek to know God and understand who he is, the easier it will be to worship him. Because a lot of times, the who, it's, is it God or me? Because like, if I'm after grades, that's about me, right? If I'm after fame, that's about me. If, I, if I'm after like, having a great like, spouse or person to date, like, that's really, truly about me or them. But like, if it's after God, we can't really go wrong. Right? If our heart is like just pointed towards God and that's what satisfies us most, we can't really go wrong. So my pastor often says this, and I think it applies here. He says, whatever you think about longest will become strongest in your life. Whatever you think about longest becomes strongest. So if you sat and you thought a long time, I'm going to pick on Kimber because this is what we did today, about a pumpkin scone from Starbucks. They're like crack. I have a problem. But if you sit long enough and you think, I would really like a pumpkin scone. And then you don't put that thought away, but you're like, it's so pumpkin-y, and it just has the right amount of spice, and oh, 
there's like three Starbucks between you here and my house, and like, I have some stars, so I could probably get it free, right? Like, like, and if, if I keep, if I keep going, like, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna drive to Starbucks and get a pumpkin scone, right? I really like them. Um, so if I think about it long enough, it becomes this strong urge, and like, I'm gonna go get me a scone. Whatever you think about longest becomes strongest. So if you think about something long enough, you end up acting on it or talking about it. So if you spend lots of time thinking about God and how good he is, your whole life is going to reflect that. Everything you do, everything you say, every action you take, all of it's going to begin to reflect him. And you guys, I believe that there are songs in this room that are unsung, unsung songs that would really resonate with our community, Chi Alpha Memphis community, far more than anything somebody else has already written that we have already sung. But we hold back and we don't sing them because we aren't really getting to know God the way we say that we know him. And we don't really understand who he is. So we can't pour out our heart to him because we just we don't even know him like that yet. And there's this thought that's been circling in me. Um, I've been reading Ephesians 3. And, and it's this thought, me and Shelby were talking about it last week, that like I don't think we even really understand that God loves us. Like, I think we think we understand that God loves us, but that there's so much more. And Paul said this in Ephesians 3, 17 and 18. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul prayed this for the Ephesians, and I pray it for us as a Kyle community, like just in my own time, I pray this. I don't think we've really even begun to understand the love of God, what he's done for us, who he is. If we truly did, we would be like pouring out worship and praise to him continually. And I think a lot of times we really are in that place where we're like, I know that, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible told me so. But it hasn't really like hit and impacted our, our lives and shifted the way we live Entirely, And when it does, it'll just be what flows out of us, right? And I truly believe that there's an enemy that wants to keep us confused about worship. Because one of the things the enemy loves to stir up controversy the most about in the church is worship. The most. Like, it's, he loves it, y'all. And so the enemy is constantly trying to divide people. And it's always about church music. Always about church music. You guys will see, this is nothing new. But, so when I was younger and I came to Christ, I came to Christ in this little Methodist church that was really experiencing a move of God. And you guys, there were, there were churches in our area, right, that they sang hymns, like from the hymnal, turn to page like 162, and we sing that one. And then there were churches that sang the contemporary songs. And I have to tell you guys, the churches split over whether we sang from the hymnal or whether we sang the contemporary songs. Like, entire churches split in half and could not be reconciled over, like, hymns or contemporary songs. Um, and, and it's like, it was crazy to me because I was a new believer and I was like, this song's about Jesus, this song's about Jesus. Like, they're all pretty good. And for me, they were all new, right? Because I didn't grow up in church. So I was like, I don't understand it. But people, like, they would fight. Like, they would go to the mat about, like, songs, right? And, and so now, like, it's a little bit like, 
is it Mav City or is it Hillsong or is it Bethel? And like sometimes people are like, if they sing Bethel songs, well, if they sing Bethel songs, like I just can't. I just can't do it. And, and somebody else is like, well, I like elevation. I like elevation worship. I just, Stephen Furtick, like he prays over all those songs with them as the pastor. I really like those. And then like some people are like, oh no, it's only Hezekiah Walker. And somebody's like, no, it's Kim Walker-Smith. And somebody else is like, no, 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 we got Tasha Cobbs. Like, what are we doing, right? Like, and, and it's like people will get into fights about how to worship Jesus, right? And, and to think that, like, one person knows how to worship Jesus, like, all you need is, like, we're worshiping the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we have that right. Like, it's worship. Amen? Like, if we're worshiping King Jesus, it's all right. It may not be, like, my particular style, but, like, if I can't worship to it, that's a me problem, right? It's really a me problem. Some of you guys, well, Shelby has been with us to Dominican Republic, and you guys in Dominican Republic, or if you go with us on a project, I promise you, you will go to church. And in that church, in another country, they will worship in not English, right? And if you speak Spanish, you might be okay in, in DR, but right, we're going to Egypt, and like, if you don't speak every, yeah, what, how are you going to do? You're going to stand there, and you're going to understand nothing, but you're going to be like, we are worshiping Jesus Christ, and I can choose to worship him too. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're open your mouth, and you're praising him in English, or whatever language you speak, because it's a choice. It's a choice. And I promise you guys, in Dominican Republic, the service was long, and there were multiple times where like, I speak a decent amount of Spanish, but I have no idea what was happening. Like, and I, I had to admit, I have no idea. No idea. Like, by the time the third sermon, <laughs> like, I'm trying to explain this to you guys, because it was like worship and a sermon, and there was more worship, and then a sermon. Like, you guys think we preach long, but I'm telling you, like, the third sermon happened, and I was like, I don't understand why there's, like, another one. <laughs> right? Um, like, I really don't understand. But, like, it's still my choice. Whether I sit here and I hear this, this third preacher like cite their references and I know enough Spanish to like kind of figure out where they are in the Bible I can sit there and read it you know I can pick up the few words and that they're speaking and I can be like okay they're talking to me about this like Lord make that a reality in my life I can choose to worship in that situation right it's it's a heart issue and so we can't ever be like I can't worship to that it's like okay that's a me problem if I get there that that's not anyone else's problem but here's the thing Here's the thing. The enemy has always been about this, and it's not new. It goes all the way back to John 4. We can read about it. So we did two kings who we got left. The single lady. The single lady. Um, so the enemy has been dividing people over worship for a really, really long time. So we're going to look at the story of the woman at the well. And basically what happens in the story, like all the other ones, you can go read the full story later, right? But like... Jesus is hungry, so he's like, disciples, I'm hungry, could you go find us food? They leave, and he's sitting by a well, and a woman comes to the well in the middle of the day, when it's real hot, and people don't usually come to the well, and he asks her for some water, and she's like, starts this conversation with him, but she's like, you're a Jewish man, I'm a Samaritan woman, those two didn't usually get along, but he ends up like, telling her who he is, and she ends up believing in him, um, but as they're having this conversation, we kind of start to see that, like, the Jews and the Samaritans don't get along, and they worship differently. They worship in two different ways, and so she asked him about it, because she's like, well, you're a prophet. Who's right? 
So it says this in John 4, 19, 24, 19 through 24. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship while we Samaritans claim it's here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in this way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. See, these people in Jesus' day, they were at odds about how to worship, and for them it wasn't like style of music or hymns or contemporary, right? But it was like, do we worship God in this place or do we worship God in this place? But it was still a division, right? And the woman asked who was right, and I think Jesus' answer to her is what he would say to each of us when we get in some idea in our head that someone else is worshiping wrong and we know better how to worship right. He says, the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And just to break that down really quick, when it talks about spirit, it's the Holy Spirit. And it's talking about like those who have been made new in Christ, because the Holy Spirit is on them as a seal, like that happens to everyone when they become a new believer. And in truth means truth of idea, a reality, or a sincerity. So put super simply, to worship in truth is that our worship would be real, that it would be honest, it wouldn't be fake or insincere. And so when we talked about, like, is worship music, it's like, it can be, but you, you could stand up here, like, I was right over here. I could sing these songs and I could mean them from my heart, or I could just be saying the words, right? There has to be a truth, there has to be a sincerity when we worship. So how do we worship? We do what's honest and sincere in following God. Often, like we do here, it's to sing together. And that's cool because we're joining together and we're agreeing together that God is faithful and good and Savior and King and worthy. And there's something really powerful about agreeing and doing that together. But for you, it might also just to be pour, pouring out your prayers of worship. You might write poetry. You might paint or dance or tell someone about God or just obey what you read in his word and love others really well because you realize he loves you really well, right? The important thing is that our heart is God, is Godward. It's towards Jesus, and it's sincere. It has to be real to be worshiped. If you're going to just go through the motions, it might look like worship, same as Saul looked like a king, but it won't really be worship at all. So here's the question of the night, and um, I really kind of just feel like I'm just going to put it here, and Kimber's going to play some quiet music, and just get with God and process this, right? There's a lot of ways we could do this, but I don't feel like this is like a big like altar call moment. I feel like we need to sit with the Lord and ask him to search our hearts. So the question is, what is your heart after? What is your heart after? And, you know, um, a lot of times we do, like, raising hands if, if you need to, like, ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. 
And we're like, do you need to come back to Jesus? Y'all, what is your heart after? You know the answer to that. And I encourage you just to take a few seconds and if you're like, Jesus, it's not after you, but I need it to be, and I need your help, just tell him that. Right? Or if there's something else that's maybe like crowding that out, something that's like a Roger and got you a little bit distracted, right? Um, like, just give that to him. Go just take a few minutes and, and process with the Lord and ask him to search our hearts and show us what our hearts are after. So Lord, we give this time to you. God, we ask that you would, um, God, search us and know us. God, help us to see our hearts clearly. And God, show us what our hearts are after. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bring us to a place where they are truly only after you.